back. Pulls up for three. Boom! Knocks it down. Curry from the corner at three. Puts it in. For overtime. Makes it. Garrett. Hi there and welcome to the MVP cast. I hope you're surviving lockdown wherever you are. My guest this time around is a British basketball journeyman and that's not said in any negative sense. From London he's played in five different countries by the age of 25, climbing up the hoops ladder step by step with no plans to stop anytime soon or at least when coronavirus allows us all to get back onto a court again. He joins us from the west coast of Canada. Jamal Davis, welcome to the MVP cast. Thanks for having me, Mark. How you doing, man? I'm very well. How's isolation over in Edmonton? How are you? How are you coping without playing basketball? <laughs> um, luckily, the condo, the condo building that I live in, we have a, uh, we have a private court. So, I've been, I've been getting my shots up a little bit, but they did close the gym, so I'm cheesed about that, man. I think we would all love a private court right now. Private courts sound good. <laughs> <laughs> how um? How's it? I mean, how, how do you go in? Do you go in and do like, solo workouts and you have to do sort of a key to sneak in? I'm fascinated. What is this private court like? Is it full size? Yeah, it's full size. Uh, it's got like a high school three-point line. Um, yeah, man. It's on top of the parkade where, where, where we park and you just scan your key card, go up and hoop. But when I do my, when I do my workouts, I like to bring a friend with me. Um, just because I feel like iron sharpens iron, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I always like to be com- as competitive as I can. Um, I always like to try and make it fun too. Because just, I like to go through things and do things as fun as possible. Like I like to make it as fun as I can for me. I love the nitty gritty of things and I know how to get through it. But if I know it's going to be nitty gritty and I tell myself it's going to be nitty gritty every single time, I might not want to be able to do it every single time. So I need to find a balance in there. The balance is key. Um, so with my with my private with my workouts on my own, I just I start off with some ball handling. Uh depending on who I'm playing for at the time, because this is really important too. I like to uh go over the plays and look at where I would catch the ball specifically and kind of just work on moves from that area and point in time. So working smart with it in a sense. I want to come, come on that point now that you've mentioned it. I mean, you, you said that yeah. you've one of the big things that's been part of your basketball development. We'll, we'll just quickly recap your journey for those who don't know. You have a junior ball at Lewisham, college at mm-hmm. Northumbria, then over to Canada for college, a little semi-pro stint mm-hmm. in Italy. That stint at Leeds Force back in the VBL and stops in, in, in Norway and, and, and laterally Austria. But you've talked yeah. about working smart and learning to work smart. What does that mean for you? Uh, it just means understanding that there's hard work in everything, but there's just a smart way to do certain tasks, like not taking a shortcut, but working on things that are very key and specific to your use. You know, it's no point in, or there is a point, it's great, but there's less of a point in learning how to use Microsoft Excel when all you need to do is use Word. Do you understand what I mean? So like, oh, I know that it's, well. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, great, it's great to understand how to use Microsoft Excel 
and it's great to have that in your back pocket, but your role at your job is just to use Microsoft Word. So, for example, my previous role with Austria, um, which I really enjoyed. It was a great role for me. Uh, I was coming off the bench, six man, and it was just, hey, bring the energy, play your style of play, and just play basketball. And with such an open coaching system, it's easy for you to get into the gym and be like, oh, okay, I can, I can coach basically gave me the green light. I can do what I want. Okay, how am I going to, I'm going to do this move next game. I'm going to do this. But at the end of the day, you know, you still have your plays and there are still certain positions on the court where you're going to catch the ball and that's where you need to put in the work. So you still work hard. I would still work extremely hard on the wing section, but I know I'm going to catch the ball a lot on the wing and in the corners. Because that's the role I play. When coaches are, t- are talking to you, and you're going to different places and different styles of basketball. I mean, how? Yeah. What's the toughest, or and maybe the the thing you have to focus on in terms of adapting your skill set to a team as opposed to that team adapting to you? And I mean, you know, how do you find in terms of fitting in somewhere, but also developing? developing your game by being at somewhere new and learning off new people. See, that's the thing of being a complete professional. Like I feel that a lot of players bring, they, they create their own identity as a player and that's great, you know, and then they go to these teams and next thing you know, they all of a sudden, they don't really fit in. And that's not really something you want to hear as a player or even as a person, right? That you don't fit in somewhere, especially if it's, going to put some money in your pocket, you know, this is your dream. You know, it's not something you really want to hear, but I think as a whole professional, for you to be able to adapt to different teams' style of play, you just have to be able to do it. You have to find a way. Um, if it's too difficult for you, you know, there are certain circumstances where uh, I had a very short stint in Germany, for example, and my role there was to just stay in the corners and catch and shoot. And I have no problem with that. Um, We played a few preseason games and it went really well, in my opinion. But a lot of the times, players can figure out, you know, what kind of identity another player has. Um, So straying away from just catching and shooting and attacking the rim, you know, it it, kind of changes the dynamic of of the flow of the game. So when stuff was when that was happening in Germany, uh, the coach felt it was best to switch out switch out my position because that's not what he needed from me specifically. Do you understand, you understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying here? Like you might think is the best thing to kind of just be yourself, but you have to be able to adapt. And it was at that moment there for me in Germany where I learned I have to be able to adapt. If I'm going to be here and I signed up to be here for a whole season and all coach wants me to do is stand in these two corners and catch and shoot the ball, I have to do it. That's what I signed up for. No bringing the ball up and trying to come off of screens and trying to show coach your range and stuff like that so you can get more things. It's just not, it's just not being a complete professional. So in order to adapt... You have to be a complete professional, be open, which is really important. But 
ideally you kind of want to be somewhere that's you know suited to you and what you're comfortable doing but there's a big difference between what players id themselves as and what they're actually good at so that's another big thing too just kind of understanding yourself i mean this season you played in in austria at maddensburg rocks i mean firstly what's what's the status of the season there is it over is it postponed or where, where are you at yeah uh unfortunately because of the COVID-19, the season got cancelled. Um, at first, it was post- it was postponed for 30 days, and then they decided to cancel it fully. Um, it's a decision I'm, I'm okay with. Uh, it does suck, you know, if I was to speak selfishly and say, you know, I, I wanted to play, finish out the season. You know, we just finished um, the first round of playoffs too. We had a really good sweep against a really good team. Um, and we would, we had so much momentum going into the second round and this happened and yeah, they, they went on lockdown. I had to come back to Canada and now we're all dealing with this pandemic. It's the, level of, frust- it it's the level of frustration there. Cause that's the first time you've been in a playoffs and you know, you, you yeah. never want to be, there must be just a little extra level of annoyance and frustration about missing that oh, halfway man. through. It's not like getting knocked out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is not like you're walking away with a, uh, I lost, how can we be better for next time type of feeling. You know, you're, you're at home now walking away with this feeling of what could have happened, you know? And there's just this unanswered question that, we're never really going to know. But if they have me back, then we're going to do the same thing next year and we're going to win the whole thing. But I mean, you if play, not, they'll, they'll do the same thing. I mean, is that... I mean, it's listed as a semi-pro league online, but, I mean, from the looks mm-hmm. of it, it's anything but. I mean, how did you find... Second-tier Austria, how did you find yeah. that level of competitiveness? I liked it. I enjoyed it. Um, it's actually pretty competitive. The... The difference between the first league and the second league is not very much. So the top tier teams in the second league can compete with, I would say, middle and down in the first league. And I say this only because we've had a lot of scrimmages, um, undocumented scrimmages against first league teams leading up to playoffs as well to help us out. And the competition level, the difference is pretty much the imports in my opinion. So it's a very good league. It's set up very well. Um, the fans are incredible. <laughs> They're like 24-7 fans, which is amazing. Um, people are amazing. Everyone's just... It, it, it felt really good. It felt really good. I mean, last year you were at Tromsø. And mm-hmm. you look at, I was looking at the map today. I've heard, I've heard of it. I wasn't sure it was. I mean, almost at the Arctic Circle. What's that yeah. place? Because uh, it's the place for oh, indoor man. sports. But it looks pretty extreme. Man. Uh, you know what? Being uh, the city I was in. So Tromsø is a 150 meters away from the Arctic Circle. <laughs> so, you know, like if as soon as you step out of the city and go 150 meters north, you're in the Arctic Circle. So we're pretty close. But in terms of temperature, it wasn't that bad. Like we, the city itself is surrounded by mountains. So all of the cold air and the cool breeze 
the primary cool breeze that kind of floats up and stays up. But um, yeah, no, Tromso was beautiful, beautiful. Playing there was all right as well. <laughs> I enjoyed my time there. How much do you, I mean, some players have this journey and they go around different countries, but essentially they sit at home, they watch Netflix, they hang out with their teammates, they go back to their apartment, they go to games, buses, and that's it. How much is, is you as someone, I want to talk about, we'll talk about your creative side a little bit more depth, but how much are you as someone that likes to take in these places, what they offer, the culture, everything about it that you can you can see off the court? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. that's that's the type of person I am. I like to, um, I'm not much into video games. I, did, I wasn't much of a gamer growing up. I didn't like have a console, so... I would play with my friends though, but I'm not much of a gamer myself. So I like walks. I take a lot of walks. I try to take two a day, uh, one in the morning, and then that's kind of followed by a jog, and uh, one at night too. But I, I love taking in the environment. When I was in Tromso, uh, I got to miss the. I didn't get to miss. Sorry, I missed the festival that they had. They have a Norwegian day like a Scandinavia day and everyone dresses up in their cultural <laughs> shirts and I missed it, but that looked really fun. Um, in Austria as well, I got to travel around, go to Vienna. Uh, that was amazing. I like to check out art museums. I'm a, I'm a geek low key. Like I've, that's, that's <laughs> kind of what separates me from a few other like common athletes because off the court, we don't really hang out so much because you know, when they're like, oh, man, let's, you know, let's go to this place. I'm like, nah, man, I kind of want to check out this museum. It looks kind of cool. They go and if they go and exhibit on the ancient blah, blah, blah. Like, let's go. But no one's really into that stuff. But I like to sit down, do some art. I sketch a lot, um, which kind of transitioned me into painting. But I've always been kind of creative and just been a, just been a, a lone creative guy and I love playing basketball. So that's, that's been helping me out a lot as well. Let's see last year, we'll stick with basketball for a moment. And we're going to come back to art, but last year you had the tryout with the Raptors G league team, the nine Oh five. And so you go in there and obviously it's a big shot. I mean, it's another level up there. Describe a, how did you get the tryout and B what happens when you're in that situation going in where, you have to impress and you know this is the this is the little door that's slightly open to much bigger things i yeah perfect because i don't think a lot of people kind of have the idea of how all of this works right so i came back from i came back from norway um and my season was done uh so i was just i was just working and working out for about a month or so uh, I got a phone call from an old friend, which is an agent. So he's not my agent. He's just a friend of mine that I met a few years ago, and he became an agent recently. Uh, he lives out in Toronto, which is on the east side. And he phoned me one day. Uh, I was on my lunch break. He phoned me, and he was just like, hey, man, uh, what, what, what are you doing? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like man, I'm eating a sandwich, man. What's up? He's like, hey man, uh, could you get on a plane today, like by six? And the time is the time is like almost one. 
I'm like, okay, yeah, to where? So, like, by now, playing overseas, that's kind of how it is. Like, as soon as you sign, you get a plane ticket within, like, six hours or so, and it, the date is usually tomorrow or the day after. So I'm used to just upping and going. So I'm like, okay, cool. Where's the next opportunity? What's happening? And he was like, yeah, come to Toronto. I was like, okay. And then where? Like, where am I going to next? He was like, no, it's Toronto. He was like, I just showed, like, the VP of operations your film. And he was like, oh, he can shoot. Tell him to come over. So can you get on the plane? And just like that, I had a workout with the Raptors 905 for a week. And it was a day-by-day basis. Um, so they took care of the hotel, took care of the flight, um, took care of my meals while I was there. Uh, it was a day-by-day basis. I was there for about five days. Uh, the sixth day, everybody had a break. It was shoot-around, and then it was All-Star weekend. So, But that was, that was my opportunity. Um, I did speak with the VP afterwards and a few of the coaches. Uh, we keep in contact and hopefully an opportunity comes from that pretty soon. But if not, you know, there's so many other teams out there. What goes on? I mean, you talked about the sort of five, six days of actual court time, but what goes on there and how, how do you, do you set up yourself to impress because obviously it's yeah. it's not just about being a talented player. It's also about them feeling that, especially in the G League, you could be someone who might be a role player in the NBA if it came to it. If it came, yeah. Um, with Toronto specifically, uh, how their style of play with 905 is the corner three. Um, especially last year, the year that you know we were talking the most, like, is the corner three. And if you take a look at a few of my games, like the corner three is so comfortable for me. Um, so I couldn't just go in there and, you know, try to just run to the corners and shoot three. You know? <laughs> but the, the, whole, the whole practice sessions, are, they're about four hours long. Uh, usually my practices with these teams so far have been, I would say, max two hours, two hours and a bit playing overseas. But practice was about four hours. Um, when you get there, you know, you have to hydrate, you fuel up, stretch. Everyone's doing bull handling workouts, the court split, guards and digs, and you just have to stand out. You have to look like you belong there. Um, it's easy, among, especially amongst pros and high-level pros, it's really easy to stand out in a bad way, to stand out in a way of who's that guy, like, What's his name? Why is he here? Type of thing. But you have to make sure that it, it just looks like you fit in, like it's just seamless. You know, that you understand the drills. People have to only explain things to you one time. Um, but yeah, it's pretty tough. I feel like they make notes more of the, the negatives than the positives. But it's a very professional organization. And stepping in and doing that and seeing it in from the inside... Uh, man, speechless, but the experience itself and the opportunities that it brought to me afterwards, I, I can I can only thank them for having me, man, regardless of the outcome. Because it, for a lot of players, I mean, even we've seen guys in the BPL who have had G League tried, 
A, it's great for the resume, but it's also yeah. great for the just that small exposure to to big big time coaching, big time organizations, which in turn makes you a better player. Yeah, uh, it's great for your resume. Um, I definitely did get a lot more uh, communication after that trial um, with with teams because I've been doing this without an agent, like. Ever since, uh, ever since I left Canada and went to Italy, just without an agent. So I would contact teams. I would Google their country, uh, Google their pro leagues, and I would Google each and every team, go on a roster, find the name of their coach, Google the coach's name, find their email, find something, and then I'll, I'll contact them. And that's how I've been getting my jobs here so far. I'm just doing it the long way. Uh, just doing the job that agents do, pretty much. But yeah, no, it, it helps so much on your resume. Um, I got a lot of questions about it. And uh, yeah, <laughs> it helps a lot. I don't know how else to really expand on that. Do you get um, Do you get to keep your training gear? Or do they wrestle that back off you before you go out the door? Nah, nah, nah. I took some of that. I had to, I had to take it. <laughs> I even had to ask for a couple of t-shirts, you know. That's that's a badge you got to wear with pride, man. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's especially from playing youth ball at Lewisham, you know, playing for Lewisham Thunder and then playing at Harris Academy Beckenham and then playing for the, po- yeah, the post-16 team there. Then playing at Northumbria, second team, university for a year. Um going to small schools in Canada and then doing the whole, yeah, come on now. It's, it's a weird journey. It's very unconventional, but it's been happening so far. And that Raptors 905 badge, every time I wear a T-shirt or, you know, I got a jersey on my wall, but every time I wear the T-shirt out, when I go work out, I wear that badge with pride. You've got a really interesting Twitter feed. If anyone wants to look up, it's JD <laughs> underscore legendary. Firstly, I've got to ask, why JD yeah. legendary? Oh, man. <laughs> so back back when I was young, um, me and a group of friends, uh, we, yeah, now we used to call ourselves the London legends. With great modesty. <laughs> With great modesty, yes. Uh, <laughs> of course. Um yeah, nah, a group of friends and I used to call ourselves the London Legends and, you know, it was kind of just between us and, you know, when I made my Instagram, I just stuck with that handle. So everyone <laughs> calls me JD as it is, you know, and uh, keep my group of friends in the mix always. And I've just always stuck with that handle because I, I changed it to Jamel Davis once and I was like, ah, man, that's too boring. My, my own name is too boring. <laughs> let's, let's let's switch this up <laughs> there's a great quote on it and i wanted to pick you up on this because I, I guess it it's one of those quotes you think it gives you insight you said i fought so many silent battles and i'm still fighting for you what's the navigation route been through battles and what are those battles typically about oh good one um my my silent battles are for right now, as a growing man, is making good decisions. And I feel we all have that, you know, decision-making is a thing that we need to do on a day-to-day life basis, right? But for me, the decisions are a little bit extra tough because I want to be able to make the right decision that is not trauma-impacted from 
you know, previous things that happened in my past. I don't want any of that to impact whether me saying yes or no to an opportunity because I don't have so much trust in this person or whether that impacts me saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to live in this country or live in this country next because of how, how certain things impacted me as a youth. I, my silent battles right now is just making good decisions and being, being the perfect man for myself that I, can, that I can be proud of, that I can look back and say, you know what? When I was 25, I was a decent 25-year-old. You know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't like every other 25-year-old that you can look at and say, okay, these guys are the same. And no, my, <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's, it's a long question to get into, man. But in short, my silent battles are just making the right decisions. But it's really tough because I'm trying to make the decisions just like everybody else and be normal, so to speak. But I don't want to be normal. Right. Like I work so hard every day not to be like everybody else. But mentally, I want to make the right decisions just as another person would. But what would you say? I mean, when you look back, I mean, what I mean, we're all defined by experiences that we've gone through, good and bad. And, you know, and you learn from mistakes. I mean, it's one of the things about growing up. And I don't think you ever stop learning from mistakes. But you know, what what do you say? into you talked about traumas. What's what's really the trauma that shaped you most in terms of, I guess, the inner persona that you have now and the, the, the way that yeah. you approach life? Um, whew. I think each... There's, there's been a lot that's happened uh, for me personally growing up. Um, but I feel like there were two cornerstones for me, like two big turning points that just kind of shaped the person I am today. Um, and it's the exact same thing, but it happened to me twice. Um, ended up being homeless. Uh, just But happened twice. I think it happens to a lot of people. But it happened to me really young. Um, and I ended up finishing uh, a lot of my teen, teenage, teenage life under Lewisham Cancel Care. Um, but that's him or there. But when it first happened, I feel like I turned into a very aggressive, negative-minded, sociopathic, <laughs> stubborn, focus-driven person. You know, it was like that I sounds like only... a te- that sounds like any teenager. What makes you different? <laughs> <laughs> I guess, right? What made me different is that I wasn't sleeping in. I was waking up at four and going for runs. I was doing plyometrics outside and then going to the morning workouts that Steve Buckner would schedule with us. I've already worked out and I'm going to these morning 6 a.m. workouts. And then after that, I come home, eat my breakfast. After that, I have weights in, I have weights in, my, in my flat, lift weights. Like, it, it changed me into a completely different person. Like, I grew up really early. And then it happened again. When it happened again, I was slightly older. And it changed my whole perspective on human beings in life. Um, it changed my perspective on behavior as well. And just a little bit, I got to understand a little bit more human psychology. The second time I was homeless, nobody knew I was homeless. Like zero people knew I was homeless. Um, and it was for a little bit, like 
I remember like cleaning up a barbershop so I can get a haircut, so I can go and apply for a job. And that whole experience was, it, it, it changed me as a man. And anything that's thrown at me today, um, after that experience, unless something else crazy happens again, God forbid. But everything that happens now, I'm able to look at it in a total different light. Um, and it makes that inner battle that I was just talking about earlier, making the right decisions in life, it makes it a lot easier. Because I feel like I'm a lot more accepting of uh, the negative now. And when you say homeless, I mean, where, where are you staying at these points in time? Uh, on top of a roof of a restaurant. Wow. With my suitcase. <laughs> um, <laughs> solid bed, solid bed, I'm telling you. Um, so that, that was in, that's in Catford. So in Catford, there's this, where the big cat is. Mm -hmm. um, you go down that alley to the left. Uh, there's like a hospice, a KFC, and like this other private, not private, but this other low, low end restaurant. Um, yeah, they have a low roof. I'm an athletic guy. I need, I need <laughs> somewhere to sleep. I'm not, I'm not going to sleep on a bench. I'm going to sleep on a roof instead. <laughs> that was kind of my, my bougie attitude, but. Yeah, no, this was in London, man. That's, that's why I live in Canada, because I feel it's a lot easier for me to be settled here. And a lot of my memories here compared to my most recent memories in London. about rainbows ahead over the storms, right? So, so what gets you out of that? I mean, did you find a job or was it sort of social work help, as you, you mentioned? What, what, what lifts you out from that, that sort of uh, heart? The first... The first time I was I was a young boy, I was still in school. Um, so through the summer, uh, I was just waiting uh, for, for Lewisham Council to just kind of give me a place. Uh, they gave at first they give you an emergency hostel. So the emergency hostel is like it's yeah it, you, you don't want to stay there really. <laughs> um, the beds are really small. Like there's nothing nothing around you really other than other people. And you just got to be comfortable with sleeping with people. And after that, they put you in somewhere else that's a bit more private but temporary. Um, so they put me in a hostel in Sydenham, uh, in southeast London. And uh, stayed there for about six months. And after that, they gave me uh, like an independent living housing flat. And by the time I had the independent housing flat, I was about 15, 16. So, yeah, so doing the, I, the first time at that age is a lot, I wouldn't say it's easier because, you know, it's still tough. It's a tough thing to go through, but you have the help from the council, right? The second time when I was, when I was a bit older, I, just like I said, man, I, I was looking a bit roughed. I cleaned up a barbershop, sweeped up the floors, chilled with them for a bit, gave me a haircut. I went and got a job. I got a bartending job at a hotel. Um, perfect, perfect arrow to aim for if you're homeless. If anyone's homeless listening to this <laughs> and they need a job, um, apply at a hotel because the hotel staff, uh, they're instructed to shower before shift. So they have like locker rooms in the basement. So 
you can shower. They have food there as well because the chefs cook meals for all of the staff. And yeah, so I got an overnight shift at the hotel so I can kind of be awake during the day a little bit as well. So I was working overnights at the hotel bartending and serving. At the end of that, I was able to shower, still be clean, still be kept fresh and still strive and do what you have to do, man. Like a roof is just a roof at the end of the day. You know, like as long as you're still breathing and you're still walking, you can still, if you can still follow your dreams, you can still be active. If you can still hit every milestone, like if there's, if you can really find no excuse, there should be no excuses for you. And I feel like not only with that experience, but with everything else that has happened with being involved in gangs, being, you know, being stabbed in itself and doing stupid things. Um, a roof is just a roof at the end of the day. Like you just have to, you have, you have to put your pride down and you just have to put your head down and just keep going. When you come from that kind of dark place, or you're sort of living in a shadows and in terms of looking for that light, if I can put out very cheesy analogy for that, but a lot of the times people find that light through someone else you know you there's that inspiration level was there someone there were there people there who kind of inspired you to go look there are better things to aim for if you work hard if you keep pushing through this i mean who was there for you to kind of hold that torch up above (laughs) see it's funny that you ask that because i'm such a stubborn guy so even if there's going to be a few names here that that, that, that person themselves are going to hear this for the first time. Um, first and foremost, I don't know if you know him. You probably do. His name is Ishmael Fontaine. Mm-hmm. He plays in the NBL, uh, most recently with Worthen. That guy, like, I don't even know. I don't know if he knew, but he had no idea. So my year with him playing for Leopards, like... Ishmael off the court is such a nice guy. On the court, watch your head. But <laughs> <laughs> off the court, <laughs> he's such a nice guy. And, um, you know, there, there, there were so many times where, you know, me and me and a few other young teammates, you know, we'll bug some of the older guys and be like, hey, man, hey, do you have one pound? Do you have a pound? Do you have two pound? Hey, give me two pound. Come on, you know. And we'll just bug the guys and tell them that they're rich and stuff like that. <laughs> you, you know, how, how kids act. But um, there, there were a few times Ishmael pulled me to the side and he would like just, he, he would give me two pounds or he would give me five pounds. And he's just like, hey man, get something to eat. And it's like, I, f- I felt that he knew that I was kind of going through it, but we didn't talk about it because we I feel like we had that connection where we're just not going to speak about it we're just going to keep moving forward and I love that about him because I don't really like talking about all of that dark stuff you know I don't like diving into it but I really liked I really liked and appreciate that about Ish and he taught me a lot at a very young age on how to be a pro as well how to deal with fans how to talk to management um, when something's wrong, how to address your coach, how to speak to coach if you need to. You know, sometimes all you need to do is talk to the captain. But Ishmael, Ishmael is one of them. So Ishmael was a light in itself, like just him being there and us being on that same team. 
Um, so I'm very thankful for the stars aligning for that. Um, Robert Youngblood, uh, our coach at the time. Where is he coaching now? Hamill, I believe he was at mm-hmm. last. Uh, Robert Youngblood. Oh, man. Great dude. Great dude. Same thing. On the court, watch your face because he's going to elbow you. But <laughs> <laughs> great dude. Um, yeah, he, he, he knew as well because there were a lot of times where our practice would finish. So we were coming from Harris practice and we were going from Harris to, to Leopards. And um, Leopards practice would finish in Essex at about 11. And I got, I'm a young guy and I got to get back to Southeast London. I got to get back to Lewisham. Right, so a lot of the time he would drive out of his way, and he would drop me right off at my hostel. You know, make sure I'm okay. Ask me if I need anything to eat. Ask me if I'm alright. I remember my birthday went by, and uh, you know, never really did anything for my birthday anyway. But my birthday went by. A few weeks went by, and he was just like, "Hey, it's your birthday?" I was like, "Yeah, man." He's like, "Oh." Hey man, you remember those J's that you said you wanted? I was like, yeah. He's like, yeah, you can have it, man. And like, just little things like that of people being humans, it, it it's just so many little lights along the path. Like, there's no one person that's a huge light that makes you, you know, just run a hundred miles per hour to the finish line. For me, it's all of these little people shedding their little lights and just helping me out going along. I mean, you mentioned you mentioned playing at Lewisham, Steve, but Steve Butnell being a coach there, and obviously an historic figure in British basketball. And you know, what's it like to be coached by someone that you know has played for the LA Lakers? Uh, Is it impressive nervous. as a young kid? <laughs> it's, it's it's impressive, but it's it's nerve wracking. It's so nerve wracking because you don't want to make any mistake. Because at first, it's like, hey, man. I'm about like if I make a mistake, I'm about to make a mistake in front of an NBA player, like an ex NBA player. No way, I can't do that. And he's my coach, and he controls my playing time. Uh-uh. <laughs> like it's just it's very nerve wracking. But um, he's a great guy as well. Uh, at first, you you can kind of see it. You can kind of see the the NBA persona in him, you know. And then after a while, when you when he warms up to you, he's He's a good guy, man. Great guy, great coach. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's that's pretty much where I started playing with him, with Steve. So I really appreciate Steve. When you when you go through all the things that you've gone through, I mean, how much you know? Again, we're all shaped by different things, but how much do you think that has formed the drive you has have? as a basketballer to be you know better to move up the rankings to get the better league the next year i mean it's, is is that in that psyche of yours is that a big part of that dynamic yeah definitely um i can just it it's almost like a, a filing cabinet of motivation you know i wake up in the morning feeling kind of drowsy and i can just flick back and think of a really tough time and just compare it to the excuse I'm about to make. Just be like, remember that time where you were in Air Forces and it was raining like crazy and you were in the cages on the block of flats in Sydney, <laughs> getting shots up with 
the rim that had no mesh whatsoever. You didn't even know if it went in or not, <laughs> you know, but you were there and you made it happen. Remember, and I can file back to another time. Remember when you broke your, broke your right hand and now all of a sudden you can shoot with your left. Like, do you remember that time where you broke your ankle and you were just practicing hop steps and you were doing ball handling? It's, that's kind of how I take it forward. And if it's a really big excuse, like I'm feeling very lazy, then go into the dark times, you know? But Jamel Davis is our guest. And you're not just a basketballer, but you're also an artist. And if, if you want to you see this, if you know, art being a visual medium, we're a spoken medium, go head to Instagram. His Instagram's at it's JD Art. Very simple. How would you describe your style? Because you, you're incredibly accomplished at what you do. This is not just a, a hobby thing in a sense, but how, how did this all come about? And what's the style that you've furnished yourself with? Oh, man. Um, art, like, art as a whole, I've always been into art. I've never really been able to. If, up until recently, I've never actually tried it so to speak mm. um in school i did art sculpture so we did we would sketch out in a 3d way of how we're gonna you know sculpt our figures but it was no means of you know sketching faces and doing color tones and shade and, and getting the right hues and things like that like it's, it's completely different but for me art kind of came from graphic design because when i was in college um, I needed I needed some extra money in college. So I said, okay, I know how to draw on a tablet, so I'm going to make logos for people. I know how to create websites, so I'm going to make create websites for people. So I was doing that through graphic design for a lot of companies, and that was helping me out through college. And uh, I stopped doing that, and it can, I kind of just transitioned. I got a canvas one day, and I was like, I'm going to try paint, see how this goes. It went decent <laughs> um a friend a friend of mine he wanted to have it he was like i'll give you 50 pound for it i was like you seriously want to give me 50 pound for this painting i just painted it man like it's me it's okay you can have it he's like no no it's so good like i would buy it and like, i want to buy it um so just from that positive feedback i continue to paint and just like anything else in this world if you do something repetitively, you're going to get better at it. Um, but yeah, the art journey has been really good, man. Uh, so like very so far, in a very short span of two years of painting, um, I've had my artwork up in the art gallery here uh, for Black History Month. Um, so had it up here for the whole month of February in the art gallery of Alberta. So it's the art gallery of the province. It's, 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 it was a... It was a badge that I wore pride that day, 100%, when I got that news. But my style is abstract pop art. So, like, my art, it kind of comes off of the canvas. So that's kind of how I want it to be perceived when you look at it. But it's very different in a sense. So, so one day they'll, be, call, they'll, be, they'll be calling you the Lewis and Andy Warhol at some point. <laughs> nah, man. <laughs> Uh, you've got you've got yeah. there's three that I spot in your Instagram they're interpretations of one I hope I got these right the Mona Lisa mm. the Joker Michael Jackson so who, who's next who would you like to capture 
Oh, man, I think next I want to do someone like Muhammad Ali um, or Mike Tyson. I've been watching a lot of Mike Tyson film lately. That guy was a beast. But I might, I might do a Mike Tyson piece. Um, I'm going to do a piece on isolation here pretty soon. So just kind of my take on it, what my view is and how I'm kind of dealing with the isolation. So I'm going to try to squeeze that all into a painting. And uh, hopefully people like that. Um, but yeah, next would be an isolation piece. And after that, probably Mike Tyson or something like that. Not sure. We'll see. Maybe you. I might do a portrait of you, Mark. That's not been done yet. I'm not sure anyone nah. will pay for it, though. But yeah, you know, I'm always giving. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one of the other things, I mean, you uh, talked... top dollar, man. <laughs> well, yes, we'll have to see that on a gallery. Top quid. Like, people can certainly looking out of curiosity going, who the hell's that? Um, <laughs> you've put down roots kind of in the west, west coast there of Canada. And yeah, one of the things you're very involved in, which... You know, is a charity there and it's you know it's sort of helping at-risk kids i mean tell me a bit more about it i mean what's obviously you've got experience of you know being through things as a kid i mean how much of that's a is very much a personal thing of you being able to share experience yeah um for me like i would love to do something like this in london first of all i would love to do something like this in Lewisham. um it's pretty tough not living there and doing something like this. Um, yeah, no, it just because of my experience, like how it all kind of came about is me and a couple of friends, um, we were at a LA, we were at a LA fitness playing basketball and we're just hooping, bullying the people on the court as, as usual. And, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, there a couple of kids came in and a few of the guys were like, Hey, uh, watch out for your phones and stuff. Cause, these kids, they, they're known to take stuff. And I really don't like how everyone kind of just looked at them instantly and just, you know, kind of didn't give them a chance. I, what me and my friends do, those, those kids, we speak to those guys. And nine times out of ten, in a group of five, there's usually one person that is really a rebel. You know, like if there's five rebels one person is the real rebel and the rest of them are just followers in a sense. Um, so we get in contact with his parents and we let them know like, Hey, you know, a few times a year we fundraise, we speak to the outlets, Nike, Puma, Adidas. Uh, we speak to local businesses, we fundraise and we take down an inventory of what the kids in our program want and what they need. And we get it for them, but they have to work for it though. Like we don't just get them air forces and backpacks and t-shirts and you know all of those things and say here you go it's hey come to our event uh, bring your friends play in a tournament for it uh do some activities for it and just win the prizes so that's that's what we do a lot of the money comes out of our own pocket but is it all goes back to the kids man and I remember being in situations like that where people kind of look at you a certain way because at the end of the day, they don't really know how your life is going, right? And I want kids to avoid doing stupid things out of desperation. And that's kind of where crime really is, desperation. So it's kind of my way of, you know, flattening that curve for people in minority neighborhoods to just 
I want to give them more hope. So that's that's kind of what we do. So we do that a few times a year and give back to the kids, man. Last thing, you've you've had some very good and knowledgeable people like my good friend Dave Hopler, Steve Butnell, Robert Blumbaugh. Yeah, say you have the the possibility to make it all the way to the NBA. Now we know that sometimes is oftentimes is about being the right place at the right time as much as talent. Yeah. But for you it's at twenty five, is that still the dream? And if so, how do you how do you map mm-hmm. out this journey from this point? Uh, from this point, uh, well, it's still the dream. You know, like you can't do anything without thinking you're going to be the best at it, unless you're just kind of half-hearted doing it. Like I'm not. I'll be kidding myself if I sit down every day and say, "Hey, I'm just an overseas pro." Like I just just going to play overseas. Some pro leagues, some semi-pro leagues, and call it a night. Like, no, man. Like, I, I can't. I won't be able to sleep at night. Like thinking like that. <laughs> I have to go for gold. So, yeah, NBA is still the dream, still the plan, um, still the calculated dream, so to speak. Uh, my next steps moving forward, going towards it, is uh, I feel very optimistic with a lot that happened last year with Toronto. Not specifically with Toronto, but with the G League itself. Um, I was unable to fly to the States afterwards, a few months afterwards during that summer, but I was invited to something else down there and that would have been great. But I'm going to do that again this summer. Um, I'm going to try to get over to the stateside after this COVID-19 blows over. Hopefully it does. But that's my plan, man. I'm... I'm going to make it happen. Uh, it's all about networking as well and talking to the right people, having the right people in your corner and just putting in the work. Like you have to, you have to ask yourself, like, is this what an NBA player is doing today? And if the answer is no, then you need to do what an NBA player is doing today. And yeah, but it can happen. It's not impossible being a British man going to the league has been done and the good thing is has, has been done. not every nba player has access to a private court right now so you are one up in a <laughs> lot of nba players hey low-key low-key man you're right about that <laughs> well jamel i mean it's been an incredible journey and we appreciate you stopping by to talk about it stay safe enjoy the court there's lots of people listening to us who are going to be incredibly jealous of you myself included but let's, <laughs> we look forward to the journey continuing very soon and Good continued good luck and success for it. Uh, Mark, thank you for having me. Um, I appreciate it. Hope you stay safe in this quarantine as well. Hope you get through it. Stay busy. Stay active. I'll get a ball in my hands very soon. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, get some form shooting. Let's hope so. Thanks, Jamil. That is that is it for this edition. You can listen to our past episodes via MVP247.com or via your preferred podcast provider. If you've enjoyed the podcast please consider sponsoring us to help keep it going. The details are at the site. We'll have another MVP cast even very soon. But for now, for me, Mark Woods, it's goodbye.